0: Thank
1: Good morning. morning. This is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. 1 John 5 3. Today is our communion service uh, following the worship service as our tradition. We'll take a break, and then when you hear the music, regather. There'll be no choir and no evening service. The annual business meeting was postponed, of course, last from last week, and that will be this Wednesday evening at seven. And you, of course, your reports are due. The Andrea's telephone number there for the prayer chain. Come take a walk down memory lane with the church family. That's Saturday, February the 23rd at 1:30. Bring a soup and a dish to pass. Pre-submit a photo of each family member as a baby. I don't know if they had cameras when I was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Get that to, to, to Marcy. Uh, albums of weddings, trips, and happy memories. In March, you're going to an escape room where there will be a race the clock to solve a mystery uh, as a team. If you're interested, you need to, to sign up today or next week Junior high and up, and the cost is $20. Winter blast, February 8th through 10th. That's Friday this coming. So if you aren't ready for that, you need to really get ready. Um, See the helps board. Uh, Of course, you can talk to Laura on that. New acts and facts are here uh, for February. All right. Anything else that I missed? The scripture for meditation this morning is 1 John 5, read 1 through 12. Let's stand together and open our service and prayer. Ed, it's good to see you. Would you open for us? Dear Father in heaven, thank you so very, very much for the worship of worshiping you. And having our praises, Lord, be with those who are sick today and cannot be with us. Thank you so much for your son. Be with us as we... Celebrate his coming, his dying for our sin, and for his resurrection, for you are so good. In Jesus' name.
2: Amen. Take your brown hymnal this morning and turn to number 375, 375 in the brown Hymn this morning? Uh,
3: 372 in the Brown.
2: 372 in the Brown. And is there a reason for the hymn this morning?
3: Well, yeah, Claire May just played it, so I'm giving her a leg (laughs) up. Okay. Uh, And
1: also in Sunday school, um, we're talking about, uh, Jared he's talking about faith as opposed to work
3: is what saves us, and yet our motivation. To, to give him glory. <coughs>
2: this, this song is going to be... All right, thank you. <coughs>
1: reading this morning is first Peter first chapter we'll be reading one through six
3: shall we all stand first Peter chapter one one through six. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience in Jesus Christ and sprinkling and and sprinkled sprinkling by his blood, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in His great mercy. He has given us new birth into the uh, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, from the dead, and unto and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Uh, May God bless his word this morning. Thank you. You may be seated.
2: I'm going to ask you to stand back up and turn it. Oh, you're fine. 378, 378 in the hymnal. You got a little bit of a break there just for a second. Number 378 in the brown hymnal. mm
0: Our scripture text this morning is 1st Peter 1, the first 6 verses. Last Lord's Day we began to get into the actual text of 1st Peter as we studied election's assurance. Peter affirmed in the most definitive way that his hearers were numbered among God's elect, God's chosen people. His affirmation was based upon his apostolic authority and insight. He reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect. No equivocation there whatsoever. We listed five marks of an apostle, none of which people possessed today, who claim to be apostles. What are the five marks? Number one, they were men who were eye and ear witnesses of the gospel of Christ, taught firsthand by the physical Jesus. We have people today that claim to be apostles. Well, this first qualification blows them right out of the water. Secondly, they were men chosen directly by Christ, not by human ordination. Thirdly, they were infallibly inspired by God to declare the teachings of Christ. Infallibly. Which means when they spoke, God was speaking through them. Number four, they had the power to perform the miraculous. Mark 16 speaking in new languages, the ability to pick up snakes with their hands and not worry about getting bit. They could drink poison and it wouldn't hurt them. They could place their hands on the sick and they will get well, is the proclamation of God's word. Paul calls see the things that marked an apostle, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Now that's going to eliminate everybody in our day that claims to be an apostle. And then fifthly, apostolic authority extended to all of Christendom and not to just a particular locale. The gospel was preached to people and they had an obligation to obey it because Of the authority in it. If they don't obey. They never reap the benefits. That are promised in the gospel. How would a person. Obey without faith. Without believing the message. That was preached. That's the rub isn't it. That's the problem. Paul writing to the Thessalonians. Says finally brothers. Pray for us. That the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honored as just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Not everyone has faith. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 1 and 2. So that's why there's no obedience. Because they don't have faith. Verse 2 of our text says, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, for the Greek is unto, King James says unto, obedience to Jesus Christ. How do we know a person has faith in Christ? They obey Christ, they obey his word. It is the obedience of faith which comes in the gospel. Did you know that when God, when the gospel is preached, people do have an obligation to obey. And their disobedience shows that they are not one of God's people. So we could say it this way. There are two groups of people whenever the gospel is preached. Number one, those that honor the message and receive it gladly by faith. Hopefully that's us. And number two, the wicked and the rebellious who have no faith, and they reject the gospel. Now what distinguishes the two? Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, through him and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship, To call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Romans 1, verse 1 and following. That's a neat phrase. Called to belong. Called to belong. Wow. Called to belong to Jesus Christ. Called to receive the gift of faith, called to receive the ability to respond aright to the gospel of Christ. You know, faith in faith is God's gift to his people. And that faith is needed to obey the gospel when it is preached. Not everyone has faith. Which tells us that it is a supernatural, God-given faith. But all who are chosen to become God's children will be granted this faith to lay hold of Christ. So when a scripture says not all have faith, it's not talking about the silly definitions that some men give of faith. Oh, I walked into the... Room and I flipped on the light switch, and I have faith that the lights will go on. That's not faith. You say, well, what is that? It's knowledge. The fact that you have flipped that light switch a hundred times and the lights have come on a hundred times has taught your mind and your heart to believe that when you flip a switch, that'll come on. That's knowledge. That's not faith. God has to grant faith, saving faith, the lay hold of Christ. And Paul confirms Peter's analysis when he says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves of sin, which leads to death, or to obedience... Which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. That though you used to be slaves to sin. You wholeheartedly obeyed. The form of of teaching. To which you were entrusted. Romans 6 verse 16 and 17. Faith is repeatedly linked with obedience. To the gospel of the scriptures. We read earlier Romans 1 5. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. The obedience that comes from faith. Or 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul writing again. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. Your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. First Thessalonians 1, verse 3 and following. Their being chosen is linked to their reception of the gospel. That's how we know. Or again in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. And that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Acts prompted by faith. This kind of faith is doing something, isn't it? James, a brother of our Lord, wrote an entire book in our New Testament based on the premise, let me read it for you. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James 2, verse 26. These early men, these apostles... These writers of scripture got the connection between faith and deeds. Faith and good works. I would say that in our society we have what I'm going to call the sayers and the doers. The sayers and the doers. Gospel of God and his salvation is preached throughout our land. And the sayers affirm verbally that they believe. But there's no repentance to show for their alleged faith. There's no turning from wickedness to God. There's no love for the fellowship of believers and for the church. They don't even relish the preaching of the Bible portions on other topics which are all God's word. How does that fit with what Jesus said? Jesus taught, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. John 10, verse 27. And then there's the other side of the truth, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. John 10, verse 5. On Sunday evenings, we're looking through a video series on um, evangelists in the United States and their view of the gospel. Men like Copeland and others. Benny Hinn. that claim to be preaching the gospel. But there's no gospel in their message. It's all me, myself, and I. These are the sayers. They talk a good line. And that's where it ends. And then there are the doers. Chosen to obey, so they, guess what? (laughs) Obey! Having been granted faith and granted repentance as God's gift, they believe and repent. Calvinists are sometimes accused of not teaching that faith and repentance are essential obedience to salvation. But that's not so. We simply assert that the obedience of faith and repentance is not a resident condition found in the natural heart of people. At Jesus' trial, the religious leaders said to him, If you are the Christ, tell us. And Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. Luke 22, verse 67. That is to say, he was telling them, you have no faith to believe the truth even if you hear it. This is the biblical pattern of these men despite the many evidences that Jesus gave of his divine person and ministry. He put it this way. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. John 5, verse 39, verse 40. And John 12, verse 37. We read, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Wow. John 12, verse 37. What's it going to take? I mean, think about this. I want you to observe that this is a willful rejection of Christ. Willful. It's not casual, it's not incidental, it is not for lack of corroborating miracles, which only God can do. It is a deliberate closing of one's mind to the truth because of the stubborn and sinful bias of the heart. We don't normally think of people that way, but we need to think about people that way. They have a nature, a sinful nature, and that sinful nature doesn't want to have anything to do with God, It's like the Jews said to the disciples, we will not have this man to rule over us. That's what they said about Jesus. And that's what's found in the heart of every sinner. We will not have this Christ to rule over us. Now there's another aspect. There's this stubborn and sinful bias. But Jesus said, Why is my language not clear to you? I'm reading his words. Because, here's his answer, you are unable to hear what I say. John 8 verse 43. Now, I want you to think about this. You are unable to hear what I say. Not just unwilling, but unable. Is he saying that there's something wrong with their auditory nerve that connects to the eardrum? And takes the sounds to the brain. Is that what Jesus is saying to these people? No, he's going deeper than that. He's talking about the inability of the natural heart, the spirit of this unsaved sinful man, to connect into what God, by his spirit, would be able to teach them had they not had that kind of prejudice and bias against God. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. So, not only unwilling to believe, but unable. Paul puts it this way. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. So there's the not willing part. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. There's the unable part. Why can't he understand? Because they are spiritually discerned, and they don't have the Holy Spirit to discern anything. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Or again, Paul says in Romans 8, 7, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Again, does not submit. That's the willful part. Cannot. That's the unable part. And this is why Jesus told its accusers, But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. John 10 verse 26. Now in contrast to all of this, Peter tells us that God has chosen his people for obedience. His words. We must obey the gospel call. And we will obey the obligations of faith and repentance, because God has ordained it to be so. He has come into our lives with all of the necessary abilities that he himself requires of people to be saved. These are a given. A given. To his disciples, he said, here is what Jesus' words, the knowledge of the secret things Of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others I speak in parables. So that though seeing they may not see. Though hearing they may not understand. Luke 8 verse 10. Paul said to Timothy. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus (coughs) before, get it now, the beginning of time. Wow, 2 Timothy 1. Verse 8 and 9. This grace was given us. John wrote, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. 1 John 5 verse 20. Peter says something very similar in our text. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In other words the called of God are given all that is necessary for the obedient requirements of life and godliness that's why we believe that's why we repent we repent and others don't we've been given they haven't been given now you see what this concludes there are no bragging rights here all the glory goes to god And his grace. Because we only love him. Because he first. Loved us. Secondly. God has chosen us. To be sprinkled by his. That is Jesus. Blood. The obedience of faith and repentance has an objective work attached to it. Repentance has to do with renouncing sin, turning from it. Faith has to do with trusting in Christ's blood, shed on the cross, to forgive and cleanse us of that sin. The faith is not just faith in anything. And repentance is not just feeling remorse or sorrow. talks about sprinkling. Well, sprinkling is an unusual way of describing Jesus' sacrifice. In English, we think of metered portions when we hear the word sprinkling. You see, those vegetables would taste a whole lot better if they had a little salt sprinkled on them. Or we could say the weather forecast has called for severe thunderstorms this afternoon, but right now it's only sprinkling outside. So in our way way of thinking, sprinkling means a little. A little. Well, let me say categorically, the term is not used that way by Peter. This apostle, more than any other, was one whose ministry was primarily directed towards Jewish people. And the sprinkling of blood is an Old Testament description of how atonement was made for the people's sins through the animal sacrifices. The writer of Hebrews describes it this way in describing the work of the high priest in the old covenant times. He writes, in the same way, the priest now, in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9, verse 21 and 22. I read that and I say, why all this blood? What is this? All this blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Why is that? Well, you know that to shed blood, a life has to be taken. In this case, it's a life for a life. In the case of humanity, the soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. Ezekiel 18 verse 20. So whether father or son or mother or daughter, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 verse 23. So this is a very serious problem. Sin, disobedience to God's law, carries the death penalty without exception, without partiality, being shown to anybody. Male, female, child, whatever. Okay, so now follow me here. If God's law states, the one who sins will die, and the Bible affirms, all have sinned, how is anyone to be rescued from this fate of death. How does anyone qualify for salvation? In the old covenant God established salvation through substitution. Leviticus 16 describes. A two goat system to be utilized for atonement. We use the term atonement to mean Make amends to atone for reparation for an offense. The first goat was sacrificed to the Lord as a sin offering, Leviticus 16, verse 8. This represents the life for life penalty of the law. In this case, the goat's blood shed in lieu of the sinful human being's blood. We read, No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Leviticus 16, verse 17. The blood making atonement. Now concerning the live goat, and by the way, these both goats had to be perfect they cast a lot they threw the dice to see this one's going to be the live goat this is, this other one's going to be the sacrificial goat so that's how it was determined but of the live goat we are told he Aaron is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat confess over all over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the israelites all their sins Put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for that task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release the goat into the desert. Leviticus 16, verse 21, 22. See, so, boy, this is, well, this really sounds strange. What's with the two goats? What's going on here? Well, you had to have two goats because one goat could not typify the work of Christ to come. Well, what was the work of Christ to come? The slain goat symbolized the payment for sin that the law required. What was that? A life for a life. The innocent for the guilty. The cross of Jesus Christ. The scapegoat sent away symbolized Christ bearing away the sin and its guilt never to condemn the people again because those sins had been atoned for. So you had to have two goats to give the full picture. All of this Though involving real animals that were slain or were released was symbolic of the one and only sacrifice for sinners to come. Hebrews 10 verse 1 says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And for this reason... It can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, can never make perfect those who draw near to worship. Day after day, every priest stands and he performs his religious duties again. And again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The animal sacrifices might have been life for life, but How can the forfeiture of an animal atone for the sin of a human being? You ever think of that? These sacrifices, by their very nature, were defective. Though prophetic of the day when God would take on flesh and blood as a human being, God would himself become the scapegoat to every uh, believer to carry away our sins and to atone for our sins and while it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin Hebrews 10 verse 4 verse 19 encourages us saying brothers since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. This sprinkling, brethren, this atonement by Jesus' blood is what Peter says God chose us to. We were chosen to that. Think of it. All the history of the Israelites, the establishment of their priestly system, the building of the tabernacle with its altar for sacrifices, the laver or bowl for washing, later, Solomon's temple with the same animal sacrifices, the same washings, they all converge on one person in history of whom the Baptist proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a sprinkling which is not something little or insignificant. But as Paul himself states in verse 18 of our text, You know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But you were redeemed, says Peter, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake first peter 1 18 through 20 the same god chose you to be his child before creation's dawn he chose the means by which he would buy you back from sin and death and hell the sacrifice of his spotless sinless son a life for a life unparalleled in human ingenuity And so we were chosen and gifted to obey the gospel. Chosen to be cleansed and forgiven by the sprinkled blood of Christ. Chosen, chosen, chosen. God in it all. Now what is the agent of change? Look at verse 2. Through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. You see, every person of the Trinity... Has a part in our salvation. Peter and Paul sing the same song. And in this regard. Look at Peter. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy. God the Father. Has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. What about Paul? Well, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. These men are singing the same song. Election, or the choice of who will become the children of God, incorporates into his family, is always attributed, always, to God the Father. Verse 2 of our text, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Ephesians text, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 5. Even Jesus confessed... All that the Father gives me will come to me. whoever comes to me, I will never drive away; for I have come down from heaven not to do the will my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me john six verse thirty seven thirty eight and then secondly, it is Jesus Christ, God's Son, who is everywhere in Scripture identified as the person who willingly takes on a human body so that he might be sacrificed for the sins of his people his own words for i have come down from heaven not to do the will of not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that i shall lose none of all that he has given me but raise him up at the last day For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. John 6 verse 38 and following. Or again. When Christ came into the world he said sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. But a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings. Sin offerings, you were not pleased. He's talking about the animal sacrifices again. Then I said, Here I am, it's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10, verse 5 and following. Christ had to have a body in order to have. His atoning work. But we do sense the voluntary nature. Of Jesus coming. There's no hint here of coercion. By the father. So be careful not to bring human definitions. Into biblical accounts. The obstinate child. You're. You're going to do this whether you want to or not. No there's none of that here. That's not the Father. God the Son is not compelled to do the Father's will. Rather, here's his own words. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, says Jesus. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. John 10 verse 5. The command being that he had the authority, Christ himself, to lay down his life and to resurrect his life after the cross. Okay, so far we have God the Father in eternity past choosing his people from the condemned sinners of the world to become his children and appointing Jesus his son to assume the role of savior. Next we have Jesus condescending to leave his royal position in glory to take on the humble role of a willing servant who would die on a cross to pay sin's penalty for God's chosen people if you want to read that in detail see philippians 2 but okay how is the price paid how is the blood of christ to be applied to people who in their very sin nature oppose god hate god won't submit to god's law Can't submit to God's law. How's that going to work? You ever have a child say to you, I'm not going to do it and you can't make me. Well, that's the posture of every person before God's grace comes upon them. And it's no different for God's chosen people. We have our fists in the face of God saying, Ah, you can't make me do it. And I'm not going to do it. Something radical has to happen here. Wow. Well, something radical does happen. He's called the spirit of life. Peter tells us in our text that God's elect have been chosen By the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Sometimes we use the word sanctify to indicate make holy. But its root meaning is to separate. Separation leads to holiness because in separation God takes us from one spiritual state and he puts us into another. From the world of wickedness and rebellion, that fist in the face of God, to love for God, appreciation, and obedience. Peter says, it's the Spirit of God who makes the separation. How does he do that? Romans 8, we learn that the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Hello. Where'd we ever get the idea that it could? Romans 8, verse 7 and 8. Verse 5 had pointed out those who live by the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. So you see, there's this barrier that faces God in calling people to faith. And repentance. The person of the world has a whole different mindset that prefers sin, opposes God's law, refuses to admit, submit. There's great tension here. There's a battle of the wills going on here. Verse 6 words it this way. The mind of sinful man is death. That's what he's thinking. He's dead towards God. He's dead towards truly spiritual things. But what if God took away that dead mindset, those sinful desires, by placing a new spirit within? What if. God himself were to invade a person's thinking. What if God used all the power, resurrection power, at his disposal to change a person from the inside out? To grant spiritual life where before it was only sinful nature life. Who do you think is going to win that battle of the wills? Jesus addressed this problem in John 6, stating, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe John 6, verse 35 and 36. What is Jesus saying here? Well, he is acknowledging that there are battle lines drawn. No matter what he says about his person, about his work, no matter how many miracles he performs. By the way, this is just after the feeding of the 5,000. Stupendous miracle. No matter how many miracles... This group of listeners do not believe Him. They are dug in for the duration. They have no intention of budging from their position. They contest the fact that Jesus came from heaven and is the spiritual bread that they need to feed their souls. They don't want to hear anything about that. They even got into word battles among themselves. Jesus says they were grumbling among themselves. And so he says in verse 44, John 6, Stop grumbling among yourselves. Just stop it. Why? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You can grumble till the cows come home. You're not going to resolve this mentally, humanly speaking. I know you can't come to me and you won't come to me and you won't believe in me unless the Father draws you into that relationship. This Greek word draws very powerful. It's elko, E-L-K-O. Here's what it means. Elko, Greek word, to compel someone against his own will. No, that's not in the Bible, is it? Our Armenian brethren would not like this word to be found in our Bible because they're always saying, well, you know, I had to choose... I had to believe, and they're referring not to this drawing power of God. They're referring to the fact that in and of themselves, they have the faith to respond to Christ or not respond to Christ. And Jesus, this is him speaking. He comes along and he says, "Now, nah, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws that person. And the Greek means to compel someone against their own will. To use force if necessary. Hence, to drag off. It's used in Acts 21 verse 30. And it describes a near riot in Jerusalem. Because the people thought Paul had brought a non-Jew into the temple site. And we read, the whole city was aroused. The, the Jewish people, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple. Same word. And they began beating him to death. They were kind of upset, you think, maybe, with Paul. Paul was helpless to resist. The forces in play were way too powerful. The whole city dragging this guy out. That's the word Jesus uses when he says, No one can come to me until and unless the Father drags him or her to me. And may I say that human will is no match for God. Verse 65, same chapter, John 6. The Spirit gives life, writes Jesus. The flesh counts for nothing. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Now we know what it means by draws. The Father draws a person or enables that person spiritually to come to Christ. Romans 8, 6 says the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. You receive the Spirit of Sonship. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's God's Spirit, brethren, who goes To war with us in the battle of the wills. And if the father has set his affection upon you. You will become his child. Why is that necessary? Because we are so stubborn. That's why. We're so stubborn. We ought to thank God when he breaks through. And imposes his will on us. It's the only way people are saved. It took resurrection power from Jesus. As he stood outside the tomb of dead Lazarus. His friend and commanding Lazarus come out. John 11 verse 43. And it takes resurrection power by the spirit. Who gives life. To raise those who are dead in trespasses and sins. For them to come out to new life in Jesus Christ. Always ask the question in your witness. How dead is dead? How dead is dead? When you're talking about witnessing to your relatives and friends, your neighbors and so forth. How dead is dead? How, if they're dead spiritually, how, what does that mean? They cannot respond. Say, well, then we're just beating our heads against the wall to preach to them or teach to them. No, you're not. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How are they going to learn unless they hear? How are you going to believe if there's no one preaching to them the gospel? That's why it's so important that the right gospel be preached. We're learning that on Sunday nights with this series that we have from Marcy, the film. All these preachers, and I put them in quotes, claiming claiming to preach the gospel who are preaching heresy. Say, well, they have large crowds. Yeah, because no repentance of sin is being challenged. No call to new life is being administered. It's all, you're good old boy. You're good. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. No, he doesn't. God has a terrible plan for your life if you're not in Christ. We need to understand and believe. Well, Peter's telling it true. True. going to require resurrection power to save us. And we can praise the Lord that through the spirit, through his spirit, he administers that power to those whom he will. Father, we thank you for your word and praise you for it. We're thankful that this is not a man-made religion. Men have distorted the gospel. They have tried to make it about them when it's really about you. I pray that you will help us to see that. Bless the truth to our heart this day and as we are about to take part in the communion table, we pray, Lord, that you will help us reflect upon the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, that Lamb of God that takes away our sin and who alone atones and brings us into a right relationship with you. Bless our time, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Closing hymn is 377. We'll sing this, take a short break, and we we'll gather for the Lord's table. 377 in the brown Hymn. Let's stand.